Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, joined once again by my colleague, Amanda C. Stein. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing well, Maddie. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. This is the latest edition of Speak of the Devils, our podcast where we get a chance to speak with members of the Devils family. And we've got an exciting guest this time around, don't we, Amanda? We absolutely do. And, you know, we're lucky to do this on Zoom so we can speak to our guests. And I like the two jerseys that are posted <laughs> up behind him right now. Big significance probably to him and to me as well. Well, that would be the number 14 worn as a devil by Brian Gianta, who is our guest on this show. And of course, the Montreal Canadian sweater that he also wore. A couple of others before the career came to an end. It was an exemplary career, Brian. And thank you very much for giving us some of your time today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited. It's uh, nice to get some love when you're out of the game. You know, <laughs> my kids are like, what, you're going on a Zoom? Who wants to speak to you? But uh, it's nice, you know, it's nice to be caught up with the old guys. I know you're kidding a little bit, but it is true. The transition from a, a storied career, and certainly you had many highlights that we'll talk about, to suddenly that retirement, but I'm busy and, I'm, and we'll talk about that too. But yeah, that, that transition can be very difficult. How has it been for you? For me, it's been great. It's, uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's... Uh, you know, you work so hard, and I was very fortunate to have a great career and at last in span uh, many years in different cities and, and be able to be a part of different things and different cultures. But uh, it's nice now to slow down and kind of enjoy the kids and not travel so much, not uh, grind it out uh, like you used to. Uh, I've said it a few times that, that I, miss, I miss the game. I miss competing. I miss being on the ice. I miss everything about the game. Um, except the travel and the grind. And, and once you're out of it, you realize how much, uh, how taxing it is. Are you flying from the West Coast and you're trying to get up with the kids early to get them to school because you haven't seen them in a week. So uh, all those little things. It's nice just being able to decompress and, and kind of be at your own pace finally. How old were your kids when you retired? Yeah, so right now they're 15, 12, and 8. So they were you know, still fairly mm -hmm. young. Um, you know, the, the eight year old, you know, he was only six at the time when I retired and my last year really was almost kind of like a semi-retirement, right? Like, uh, <laughs> the Olympics in Boston. Uh, so, you know, I, I wish that he was able to see a little more or be a part more of the career, but the other two for sure. I mean, they were dragged around from city to city and, uh, dropped in Montreal and not being able to speak French and Hey, deal with it. And so they're all great life lessons. And I wouldn't change a thing, um, but it's also nice for them to settle down, get their friends, uh, get their school settled in and their team sports, all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, sit back and relax and enjoy it. Did they keep any of their French after? Because I know they would have had to <laughs> learn at school. <laughs> they did a little bit. Um, my son, which was the weirdest thing, he went into high school last year and he changed from French to Spanish. First year of high school. He'd been taking French through middle school and obviously in, in Montreal. And all of a sudden he comes to us. He's like, yeah, I signed up for Spanish. We're like, what are you doing? Like you already, you would have been able to breeze through freshman year of French if you'd stayed with it, but he chose to, to change it. But yeah, we still have friends in Montreal that uh, we keep in touch with. And uh, you know, the mom is really good. She doesn't let him off the hook. She speaks French to him and makes him do it. Oh, that is good. Yeah. We got to talk to him about having an easy path to a good grade. It's tough enough, <laughs> Exactly. but like it's a layup. Come on, it's exactly. a So Western New York obviously is where you're from. And as I was doing some research for this show, and I had the pleasure of 
watching your entire Devils career and then, of course, your entire career overall. So I just really had to refresh myself on some of these things. But it's amazing how Western New York has revolved around your hockey career and your hockey career around Western New York because you were drafted by the Devils. Draft took place in Buffalo. Yeah. You won a national championship with Boston College and the game was played in Albany. Now, I know there would be people who would argue they're not in the same region, and I know they're not. And, of course, you played for Buffalo, and it's unbelievable. Uh, it all started how for you? Uh, well, tough winters up here, right? So we, I had two brothers, obviously, my younger one uh, with the Devils, and I have an older brother, Joe. And we, my parents wanted to keep us busy in the, in the long winters, and so they put us in skating lessons that evolved to hockey, and all three of us uh, took off from there. So. Uh, it is. It's weird how it has all kind of come together, right? Like, I don't think I would have wanted to start my career in Buffalo. Uh, the pressure of being in front of family and friends and, and the polls that it would have been. Uh, it was nice to be there at the end of my career where, you know, you could be and enjoy it, right? Like, enjoy what it was. People can get to the game. You can go out to dinner. You can be close to family. Um, but everyone knew how things worked. You didn't have to worry about tickets and all that stuff that you would have when you're younger. So, uh, it, it's, for me, it was, I, I wouldn't change one thing. It was, uh, I would have loved to stay a devil, uh, my whole career, but, uh, in saying that, I think the respect I have for Lou and what happened and, and how it went about going to Montreal, I grew as a player and a person. I wouldn't change any of that. And I, I'm really fortunate to have that experience. I wasn't going to get to the transition out of the Devils organization, but you led me to it. I do want to get back to your Hall of Fame, U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame induction video, because the first clip, you're in goalie pad. So I want to talk a little bit about that (laughs) and how that transition took place. What happened there? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Obviously, it worked out well. Again, a Hall of Famer and uh, a wonderful career. But your Devils career came to an end. You had won a Stanley Cup championship with them. You set a team record that still exists for goals in a single season. And in your final year, 08-09, the Devils win 51 games. But we know how it ended in that playoff series against Carolina. And maybe if time permits, we'll get to where you were as those two goals were scored in the final minute, 20 seconds. But what did happen? I mean, you had done so much with the team. Why didn't it work out that there was a contract to stay? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I still, you know, in talking with Lou, I still don't know what had happened. We were all in uh, for staying in New Jersey. Um, at the time, uh, you know, I was I had signed a three-year deal after that, like you said, the 48-goal season. Um, and so we were at $4 million and I was literally on July 1, uh, offers were coming in, and we were going back to Lou and saying, hey, just throw us an offer. Give us a number. We'll most likely take it because we want to stay. We love what it's all about. We love the chance to win all the time. Um, and it just didn't work out. And I think it was partially Lou uh, wanting to turn over the roster, but also uh, knowing that I could get better uh, elsewhere um, and that, you know, maybe I needed a change of scenery, maybe uh, to spark and, and to push things and be out of your comfort level. Um, you know, it, it's all those things and it just didn't work out. And at the time I, we were devastated, me and Harvest, my wife, uh, we had been in Jersey seven, eight years and loved it. Uh, my daughter was born there. So it was, we had a lot of love for New Jersey and it was devastating. 
And it was hard to make the transition to Montreal, which is French speaking. Uh, you're in the limelight and Matt, you know me more than, uh, I, I'm not that type of person, right? Like I, I'm, I'm trying to fly under the radar and that is not what you do in Montreal. There's none of that. And so we get there and you're out of your comfort zone and that's when you grow the most as a person. And, and that's what we learned. It was a huge life lesson for myself, for my kids, for my wife. And without that transition, none of it would have happened. And if we weren't pushed to do it, we probably would have been in New Jersey for another couple of years and maybe things would have gotten stale. Who knows? But uh, it's weird how, how those things happen in life and, and where you want to be, where you think you want to be, don't always align to what happens. Yeah, because you had 20 goals and 60 points that year and they had the most wins ever. It just ended in that horrible game seven <laughs> against Carolina. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. was shocking. Uh, the numbers were good in Montreal. It was just shocking that it didn't uh, – happen in New Jersey. Amanda? Well, you know, you, you mentioned that, you, Maddie, want to talk about that transition too. And as someone who's from Montreal, has covered the Canadians for years and then moved to New Jersey, I did the opposite of what you did. <laughs> um, but what was that experience fundamentally like when you're going from, you know, the type of culture that is Jersey? I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but then to that type of limelight and not just being recognized literally everywhere you go, but, and losing that sense of privacy, but that type of pressure I would imagine is a different type of pressure you would have faced in Jersey for being perennial winners. Yeah, it was uh, New Jersey. I, it was all internal pressure, right? It came from the mm -hmm. top. It came from Lou. It came from the team that we expected to win all the time. And, and we expected to be the best. Lou expected the best. Uh, the pressure was from internally and you go to Montreal, a lot of the pressure is from the external world, right? The media, the fans, the, uh, the, it, it's everything. And it's, for me, I'm lucky that I grew up and I say grew up in the system in New Jersey because I was prepared for Montreal. Yeah. The seven, eight years I spent in New Jersey under Lou prepared me to not get caught up in the media stuff, prepared me to not worry about all the exterior noise and kind of internalize things. And I think that's like the organization in Montreal, J Jeff Molson, everybody there is first class. And so you're treated like first class and it, it starts there, but I was able, if I was young, you might get pulled in different directions, whether that's the, the bar scene, if you're young, or if it's uh, worrying about the media, there's a lot of things you have to worry about. And I was fortunate that I went there at the right time in my career to be able to flourish and the fans the fans were great with me they accepted me and an American kid being their captain uh it could have gone a lot different of a way but they appreciated what I brought to the game I guess and that's why they uh you know had the love and and everything was great for my five years there you've mentioned so much about Lou and Lou has been such a foundational piece to who the New Jersey Devils are. But I think maybe those who don't follow the Devils or don't know Lou as well, you know, have this persona of him where the first thing people say is, well, you have to like shave your beard or you have to have <laughs> short hair. What is an underappreciated thing about Lou Lamorello that you really only learn about him when you're one of his players? Uh, for me, it was how much he cared about me and my family and, and, and that is you, you talk to former players of his that may not be the case for everybody right like uh if you work hard for him you go in day in and day out and do the right things uh he's going to take care of you for life and so 
for me, I have a soft spot for Lou because he undersized player, like you said, Maddie from Western New York. Um, I probably wasn't supposed to make the league. And Lou gave me that shot in an era that it wasn't acceptable for small players. And so just giving me that confidence and giving me a shot, I owe a lot to, to Lou, David Conti, and the organization uh, for entrusting that in me. So um, I, I, what I learned the most about Lou and the, the Devils back in the day was uh, their consistency was driven from going in and doing certain things the right way all the time. And it sounds silly and not everybody fits that way, but you know, I have a beard now. Lou would probably cringe, but like it's you, he does it because you are a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and right. that's just a small symbolism to that. And so that's what the culture that he sets where he's at. And I think everyone who has played for him, or almost everyone, <laughs> uh, has a soft spot because they realize as their careers moved on, whether they went somebody uh, someplace else or once it comes to an end, they look back and say, you know, it wasn't the same in this spot and I was a better player for having been in New Jersey. There's always exceptions to the rules, but yeah, for the for most sure. part, everyone, everyone loved the experience. And by the way, winning was a byproduct of a lot of that. So uh, let's not forget how important of a component that is. That being said, and I think anyone who's been around Lou a long time, you in a different capacity than me, but I've certainly had the pleasure of, of working for the organization for a long time under him. But they, everyone's got a story though. Like we know Lou, right? The, the stare. So what was the first fresh out of Boston College in the Devils uh, organization or maybe first time in that rookie year and you turned and you got the look? Or you had to get you were called up to the office so, and you're like, oh baby. Well, I didn't. So I, hey, I wasn't called up to the office nearly as much as Gomez was. But <laughs> <laughs> so the my my first kind we'll of we'll call it a come to Lou moment. <laughs> it was training camp pre training camp. So we're at the uh, South Mountain Arena, the old practice rink in West Orange. And so I'm going out there. I tape up my shin pads. I'm going out there. It's, it's not even training camp yet. So it's just kind of the voluntary practices. I go out there and I have tape over top of my uh, lines on my socks, right? And that is a huge no-no. Like it is your – don't cross the lines with your tape. If you cross it, it's got to be on a diagonal and it can't be showing in the front. So I had wrapped it, you know, I'm smaller. The socks didn't fit well. The, the lines didn't line up on my legs the way they're supposed to. So I had to tape where I liked it and it was over the lines. I step on the ice and Richie Matthews comes running over the equipment manager in, in New Jersey. He goes, Lou just saw you from up in his box, you know, the tinted box <laughs> above South Mountain. And he goes, Lou tells you, you got to change your, your, uh, your, sake, your, your sock tape. It's coming across your lines. You've got to figure out how to not have that happen. And so that was my, coming to Lou moment coming out of college and like his attention to detail he saw me out there and he's like nope that's not how we do it here and get him to change that uh, so uh, that's Lou for you you yeah, know sitting no, up in his tinted box I loved it no doubt about it we can talk about college and we're going to delve into the devils of course but I do want to go back before I forget to that video I saw upon your induction into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And again, congratulations on that. So it starts, we see a lot of goals being scored. We see you raising the Stanley Cup over your head as a devil in 2003. But it starts with you sitting in a stall, and you've got to be, what, four, five, maybe yeah. younger? And yeah. you've got goalie equipment on. I, I had to go back. It was so quick. I said, wait, wait a minute, what did I just see? So what's the story there? So it, it was, you know, house hockey, I believe, 
Um, I loved goalie. I loved being goalie. And so house hockey, you have to rotate. And so I had my rotation and I go out there, I put on my stuff and I get shelled probably 15 goals. I'm terrible, but I, for some reason I fall in love with it. Like I love it. So ever since then, every spring and every summer I played goalie probably up until 12, 13 till like peewee every summer I'd play goalie. And even on those teams in peewee, I always had my uh, goalie equipment on the road at a tournament just in case the goalie got hurt. I was ready to go in. And so I've always loved goalie. I've always loved being a goalie and I appreciate goalies. So uh, I love the craft. I just uh, maybe saw the writing that it wasn't fit for me uh, long term. So I I stuck with the uh, forward role. I guess also in this day and age when the goalies are, you know, now behemoth of men, you know, you might not fit the mold of the current No, I wasn't. That's a, and my youngest son, my eight-year-old, he loves goalies. So he's going through the same thing right now where he plays goal. And I'm like, ooh, buddy, by the time you're 13, 14, there's no more Andy Moogs. There's no more Darren Pangs around. Like, they're, these are big guys filling the net. So if you want something in hockey, we got to change your position. So you go to Boston College, you're in four frozen fours, but it wasn't until your senior year that you're able to get over the hill and win a championship. And not only do you win a championship, but you win the first championship in over 50 years for Boston College. And since then, they've added a ton more. You were part of a special class, and that was a special team. There were a lot of great players on it. Uh, What was the time at Boston College all about for you in terms of your development? And how did it prepare you for a pro career? Uh, there again, it was a much different uh, time in the game. I was able to stay there for four years. Uh, Lou and, and the organization didn't uh, pressure me to come out early. Uh, they allowed me to develop. And, and as you, I guess as an undersized guy, those four years prepared me to not spend much time in the minors. When I did finally go pro, I was able to go to Albany for 30 plus games. And then I found my way up to the big club pretty quickly. And it's because I think of the maturity of, of, of staying at school, I was able to develop more physically and be able to absorb the grind of the NHL season. So I appreciate that I didn't have to make that decision because my four years at BC were some of the best years of my life. Uh, we had a very special class of, of eight players uh, and we we're in it together the whole time. And, uh, those are lifelong friends. I mean, we still do uh, video calls uh, every few weeks with those that group. It's just a special bond that you have living with those guys around them all the time. And so, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about going pro. I was able to slow down and not be rushed. And I'm thankful for that because it's a much different time and place uh, in the game today, right? That You probably would have been a higher draft pick. Uh, you probably would have been forced out after a year or two. And who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have been ready. Maybe, uh, you know, I had a longer career because I was more prepared at the start of it. Who knows? Scott Clemenson was the goalie on that team. Yeah. Of course, a former devil. Rob Scuderi, Brooks Orpik, uh, Chris Kalanos was on that team. Chuck yeah. Kobasu. I mean, there were a lot of great players who had careers in the NHL. Uh, who else am I missing among the, the big names there? Uh, I mean, you, Marty Reasoner was uh, – he had a, a good career with St. Louis and Edmonton. Um, I'm trying to think of the older crew. Well, I was thinking um, the group that went and won that championship with you. Yeah, so that, that crew that won the championship, um, I think you hit everyone on it that, that would have been. Because Mike Motto, a, a former devil, 
Uh, he was there for three years. He didn't win the championship. So, um, you know, there's plenty of guys that were came through the system, but those that was the core group uh, for that championship team. Pretty good group, led yeah, by a great not coach. Bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jerry, Jerry York. Jerry York, yep. Do you think that with the way hockey is built now, like across the United States and how many programs there are, that we're going to find teams like that again where you have like this um, condensed team or with so many future NHL guys on it? I don't like, know. What made I mean, that so special? It, it was it was like I, I think it's part of the time, right? Like so Brooks Orpik would have been a year younger than me, so he would have spent three – he left that year – to go pro, but he spent three years in college and, uh, Rob Scuderi, multiple cup winner. He spent four years in college. Uh, yeah. and so it was just a different time. It was, I think the, the system now, uh, the, the teams, the organizations want their players, their assets quicker and to see what they have and, and try to, you know, there's that window of opportunity, right. Before they, uh, you know, their entry level where they're, yeah. they're underpaid maybe, and you got to get value for those guys. They're trying to hit that along the way. So it's a much different time, different system. And I don't think you'll see it in, in college. And I talked to Jerry York and that's one of the hardest things is trying to figure out, you want these, your top team, your top university, and you get the top recruits. But with that, you know, you're only going to have them for a year or two. And so there's yeah. a lot of changeover. And it's really hard to replace these players year in and year out and still be a contender. So those teams that do it, your Duluth has done it. Like that's a very special thing to be able to do. So you join the Devils and shortly thereafter, you win a Stanley Cup. What a year that was, 2003. <laughs> uh, what, as you look back on it, and it's hard to believe it was 17 years ago, what was that year about for Brian Gianta? Oh, man. I mean, it was a whirlwind because it's – you go back and it was so early in my career. Um, and your – Pat Burns comes in as the coach. And so, if you take my first three years, I started with Larry. Larry gets uh, replaced and Kevin Constantine comes in. And then uh, Pat takes over. So, I have three coaches in a matter of a year – and a half or whatever, not even. Um, and so you're trying to cement your place in the, in the team and as an NHLer and trying to day in and day out work to, to that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the playoffs and uh, with a chance you're rolling and a chance to win and a great team. And it was my, so that would have been 0203. So that would have been my second year in the, in the league. And so um, it's, I, I wish I was able to enjoy it more. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but as you get older, you're able to, you know, really appreciate where you're at. And there is just such a whirlwind and, and you're just trying to get by and, and, and kind of compete on a nightly basis and do your job that you really don't appreciate it for what it is. And uh, you go on and have another, you know, 14, 15 years and it's, you get close, you get to conference uh, finals, but you never get back there. And it's like, you see how hard it was and how special of a group it was. In those moments where you're winning that cup and you're, you know, at such a young age in your career, is there a thing like, oh, well, this is going to happen all the time, you know, because we've talked to other guys on the winning teams of the Devils and sometimes they're, you know, it's their first year and they're thinking, well, this is great, but then that's it. That's your one opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you're, 
at that time, that's the third cup in what's that seven, eight years that yeah. New Jersey had won. So uh, that was what the organization was about. It was about winning and having a chance to win. So you're like, okay, we did our job. We won. Now let's get back there. Let's do it again. And it just, it's so hard to do that uh, you really, as your career goes along, you really appreciate how hard it is to be there and how special of a group it was. Not to go super off topic on this, but the guys who will potentially return in this return to play plan, how hard do you think that will be, you know, just to come off of a three month break? Cause you're talking right now about going through the course of a season and then playing, but here's a huge break in between. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest thing is who knows where everyone's at, right? Like yeah. different States in different countries and not everyone can work out or skate. And so in a typical summer, you have an end date in mind and you start your training and, and your prep to be at your top at that. And so my, the biggest thing is what are these guys going to be like? What's their, their level going to be at? And I think that's the biggest uh, question mark is, is there can be some real surprises based off of how everyone has been able to handle the situation and how they've been able to train and prepare their bodies for it. Well, you would know a little bit about coming off a long layoff because Oh four season ends lockout and you come out the following year. Oh five. Oh six. What a line, the egg line, Patrick yeah. Elias, <laughs> Brian Gianta, Scotty Gomez in the middle, 48 goals. And again, that's a record that season ends with 11 straight wins and the devils wind up capturing the division championship on the last day, beating Montreal, coming back late in that game. Just an amazing year. So what got you so ready and juiced and able to just kind of take off? Well, it's a combination of things, right? Like it's uh, your your maturity level and, and your natural uh, coming of, of, of your prime, I guess. Um, it's that mixed with being fresh off of, not the grind of another season before I, I went over to Europe for a bit. I played in the world championships. I played for Albany a little bit. So it was uh it was a combination of everything. And then the game opened up, like uh, they called every infraction. So there's more power plays and you had 24 uh, power play goals. That's still a yeah, record. So, yeah. So uh, everything came together, right? Me, Gomer and, and Patty were, were gelling and we were feeling each other and, and you stay healthy. Health's the biggest thing. I mean, there's plenty of more years where you might have been on pace and you end up only playing 60 of the 82 games or, or you get hurt and, you know, it, it's just something's nagging the whole year. It, it, everything came together uh, perfectly and, uh, you know, that line was a special line. We uh, actually just yesterday, my son, my boys were watching NHL Network as a top 25 lines of all time and they called me down from upstairs they said, Dad, Dad, you're on. You guys, you, Patty, and Gomer are, were like number 21 on the list. So it was pretty cool to see that. And now that you mentioned that, it's uh, funny that it just happened the other day. That's really cute. I mean, especially like considering what you were talking about your kids earlier, maybe like didn't see as much of your career as you would have wanted. But right now we're in a day and age where it lives on forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, unless Patty, they watch the old, unless they watch the old film that wasn't HD, and they're like, "What is this stuff? What is going on?" <laughs> right? There's no trapezoid. There's no markings exactly. on the ice. There's a lot of differences. Uh, but now, but Patty came back from overseas, and he was sick that year. He had the hepatitis. Yeah. So when did you guys really get together? 
Uh, not, not till not till late in that year. It wasn't. I want to say until like January. We the well, lines were all. Back, were, you, were you put with him once he came back? Not, uh, we were on and off a bit. You know, I would say mostly I was with Domer um, for the most part, but Kozlov was there. I remember playing with him a bit. Um, but there again, it was it was one of those years. It was weird because Patty was sick, so he was out for a long extended part of the year. Um, we had kind of been up and down a little bit that year as well. Um, and was there a, was there a coaching change? Was that one of the years there was a yep. coaching change with yeah. Lou? Yeah. Lou so, took over first time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there, it clearly wasn't a team that was, was gelling. Some things needed to happen. So, uh, but I do, I, it was, we had played together for a decent part of the year coming down the stretch. Uh, for sure going into that winning streak with 11 in the regular season and we swept the Rangers I believe in the first round if that's that if that's that year yep so it was a magical year for you and 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 for Devils fans so I'm gonna channel my inner Stephen A. Smith what the hell happened in 2009 You win 51 games. You've got a, a lead over Carolina at home in game seven. You see Jokinen, who, by the way, scored a goal, as you know, doubt, recall, with two-tenths of a second left to win a game earlier in that series that was headed to overtime. Oh. I'm sorry to bring up the bad stuff. I just want to say for those who can't see what's happening, Brian just, like, put so his head in his hands. <laughs> So Jokinen scores with a minute 20 to go, and Eric Stahl scores with 22 seconds to go. And I will tell you, broadcasting the game, I remember thinking, because Washington and the Rangers, their game started like a half hour before ours, and Washington wins. And my thought process was, we're moving on to play Washington. Then Jokinen scores, and I'm thinking, now we're holding on. And then Stahl scores, and I'm saying, we're going home. It was that quick. It was an incredible... Incredible. That's how that's term. how we felt on the bench too. It was you sat there stunned, literally stunned, and didn't know what to do. And you're like, "How did this just happen? How did? Okay, they score, tie the game up, fine. You're thinking, okay, this is going to overtime. Opening faceoff or the the faceoff happens at center ice, and the next thing you know, it's in our net within seconds, and you're sitting in disbelief. And um, you know, it, my contract was up. We had a great team. And you're thinking, this is not how it's going to end. Is that my last game as a devil? Is that really how it's going to happen? And you're just in straight disbelief because you didn't see that coming. You, you, no one on that bench saw that coming. And that's the – it. just things happen. It's weird. Is that the most stunned you think you've ever been in your career? Yeah, for sure. It was – you have – you go from having control in that game and – hey, all right, let's hold them off. Let's hold them off. Okay, they score late. Okay, fine. We're fine. Regroup. It's going to go to overtime, and then all of a sudden, opening faceoff, and I still don't know how to happen that quick. And I think John Madden won the faceoff. I think he won it so clean, it went down in our end behind our net, and it was just their forecheck, and then they scored. It, was, it seemed like a blink of an eye. Yeah, that's how it happened. And, uh, uh, you know, Whitey tried to clear it up the boards, and it just didn't get out, and Eric Stahl. Whitey. I'll blame Whitey. <laughs> oh yeah i know right no, i mean no, it's no one I, I i kid i'm good friends with whitey so no, the listeners I know. that think i'm blaming them so no i know and um 
Hey, listen, it's sports, right? That's, yeah. that's the, be- it's from a devil standpoint and for me personally, it's the difficulty about sports, right? Because your heart can be broken, but it's what makes it such a compelling field yeah. because you just never, never know no. whether it's the ball gets, notes, you can't write a script. No nope. ball gets by Buckner. David Tyree catches a ball on his helmet <laughs> yeah. yep. in a Super Bowl. <laughs> Things like you just don't know. So yep. uh, it, it is, it's, it's such a compelling story. No doubt. What did going to when you got the call for the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame? What went through your head? Uh, I was shocked to be honest with you. Um, I knew I'd played in a lot of international events and I had some success in World Juniors and played in a couple World Championships and obviously a couple Olympics. But um, you know, you think of of my era of the USA players and and your Mike Madonos and your Billy Garens and your Doug Waits and and guys that. Uh, you grew up your your Chris Chelios is and it's you don't see yourself in that same light at, at least I don't it's just uh so when when Pat Kelleher called uh you know, I was actually in the car somewhere with my family and I just answered I'm like oh Pat what's up and he he told me the news and I was completely caught off guard because I was just thinking we're gonna call and kind of shoot shoot the business there and figure out what was new with each other and he dropped that on me so it was pretty special it was pretty cool it was a great week in, in Washington, uh, like you said, for my, Amanda, my, for my kids to be a part of it. Uh, it was really cool for them to see all that again. When you look back on your career, um, you know, now that we're talking about being in Hall of Fames and stuff like that, what are you most proud of outside of, let's say, the championship that you want? Like, what makes you most proud about your career? Uh, I'd say just the the consistency and and the longevity of it uh uh, from someone who wasn't expected to play one game to be able to hit a thousand games and and have the longevity and I I played for four organizations but I was never once traded and uh so just being able to know that people appreciated what I did for the team for the organization on the ice um that's kind of what I hang my hat on is that uh, I went out there and laid it out every day and I was, uh, you know, afforded a very good living, uh, a very stable living within the confines of sports. Uh, so I'm very fortunate for that. Now, do your sons play hockey at all? Yeah, both. Oh, you're right. Both you my said boys the goalie. Do. The goalie. Yeah. So <laughs> my oldest, my oldest is 15, and so me and Pat Coletta, uh, former Saber, we both coach that team together. And then the younger ones just still coming along, and then my daughter is. Uh, She's a huge soccer player, so I kind of dabble in the assistant soccer coaching world with her, and uh, I just love seeing them do what they love to do, that they get such enjoyment out of it. I don't care what it is. Uh, my daughter used to ride horses. I, I would love going to the farm and watching her ride and just the smile on her face, and so now when they go out there and play games, that's where I get my enjoyment. I, I love seeing them do what they love to do. What is it like behind a bench run by Brian Gianta and combination. You get a little of everything, right? So you get a you get a little muscle and a little grit from Pat and uh, you get a little more of the skill side, softer side from me. So I think the boys are well rounded and uh, versed in their hockey knowledge now. Is there a burden? Did you think about it that your kids are giantas 
So there's an expectation. You didn't necessarily have that, you know, growing up. I mean, your mom and dad raised three great kids, humble and polite and very successful, but you were just the son of the hardware store owner and, you know, you just had to do your thing. But they carry a little bit, not only your name, but of course their uncle, Stephen, played in the league too. Yeah, they, uh, so they for sure, they have it much harder than I ever would as far as that, as far as expectation. And, um, you know, my oldest saw that a lot in Montreal. Um, uh, he was in the limelight a lot more with his hockey and even at school for that matter. And, and for my brother, for that matter, it was extremely hard. And I saw it a lot with my brother that um, he was constantly compared to me. And, you know, people would call him Brian and, and announcers would say Brian. And they don't do it meaningful, but it just happened. And I'm sure it takes a toll on him. It, it wasn't easy on him. He followed me through BC and then he went to New Jersey and did the same thing. So uh, for sure it was hard on him. And uh, actually it's uh, – I've actually – pulled on Steven a lot to help my kids with some of what he had to go through to help them because it's not easy. Uh, you know, people, you know, he, even in Buffalo, the school he goes to, everyone knows who he is and knows who his dad is. And so I've asked my brother a few times to kind of pull him aside and, you know, kind of talk to him and uh, let him know it's okay and, and how to go about handling it because it's, it's something that I've never had to experience and he's got the most uh, knowledge for that. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm extremely thankful for the close relationship I have with Steven too. He of course had a wonderful career with the Devils. almost got his name engraved on the cup as well, going yep. to the Stanley cup final in 2000. Oh, uh, I'm, I we saw that me. the other day too. Yeah. <laughs> NHL networks killing me this week. It was just this week too. <laughs> we were watching that. Oh, I know. Let's rewind to 2003 or uh, that game in Montreal where the Devils complete that long comeback. You had two goals that game. Or maybe, maybe we can see the goal you score against Chicago, the assist of Patty Eliash in 2009 on St. Patrick's Day that put him number one yeah. in scoring yeah. <laughs> in, and it was a shorthanded goal if uh, high, yep. right? <laughs> it was yep yeah patty afterward yeah. with that marty brodeur sets the nhl record for wins that night but uh, patrick has a shorthanded goal assist so there were a lot of things for brian Gian. For let's go nhl network let's let's but they did give you 20 they did give you 21st best line so yeah, exactly so i can't complain good. no yeah. No, it wouldn't do any good. And the other side of the family is we know that Steven's the favorite son anyway, so that's okay. Yeah, we know. We know. My <laughs> mom has that. Like, it's there's no denying that he's the favorite. I'm okay with it. I've come to grips with it, and we'll just let him have that. <laughs> What's keeping you busy these days? Besides uh, the coaching kids, and family stuff. Yeah, but- the kids coaching. Uh, I was doing a small part with the, the Sabres. Uh, going into Rochester, you know, maybe twice a month uh, and just kind of being a mentor for those guys, sounding board for those guys. Uh, with all the change over there, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, I, I like that part of it. And I, I like I said before, I, I really enjoyed uh, being with my kids and, and seeing them do what they love to do and, and uh, being a part of their lives day in and day out. Steven scouting for Tampa Bay. Could you see yourself getting into the game pick a time frame 10 years from now when your youngest is is uh, all grown up yeah yeah I mean I, I think I love the game I love being around it and 
Uh, I definitely want to be a part of it. It's just trying to find the right uh, kind of right position and, and right commitment level uh, as I go along because uh, my number one priority is my family. They've sacrificed so much over my career, and a lot of me, I've said it before, uh, the wives are very underrated in what they bring to the table for a player and being able to go out with my wife and not have to worry about what was going on at home and uh, live my dream day in and day out. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to do that. And now I'm able to benefit and uh, really enjoy the time with them. What has it been like enjoying the time with your family while everyone's all cooped up <laughs> together? Because we love our families, our kids, yeah. our nieces, our nephews, but this is like next level. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it was, it was hard, but we're, we're an active uh, family. So we would get out for hikes and bike rides. And uh, we came to the lake early. Uh, as soon as the weather broke, we came to the lake. So now we have uh, all the lake stuff to keep you busy and, and going on the boat and enjoying the pool. So it's uh, considering how long it's been and you look at how long it's been and you, you look back and you're like, there's no way we've done it for that long. Uh, it really has been nice to slow down and have family dinners together again. You know, you're not running off to soccer and, and going to hockey. You're able to kind of just decompress and uh, see the family, then catch up with the extended family and stuff like that. It's been great. And maybe considering having, the circumstances, but yes, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> uh, no, so we, we never forget that. That's yeah. always underscores it. And maybe have an adult beverage while the sun is setting. Yeah, you know, not, not, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Not, not such a such a bad thing. I want to put you in the mind uh, in the position of the current players. You talked earlier about coming back and that transition and how difficult it may be. I I think I speak for everyone when I say I hope we can continue along this path and, and the return to play does happen. And there are going to be players. We've already seen that who will test positive for COVID-19. Uh, so they'll be pulled out. We can't expect it to be perfect. If you were in their shoes, you're, you're a 28 year old Brian Gianta with some kids and what, what concerns do you have? What do you, what, what are they dealing with right now? The players? Yeah, I mean, there there's so much swirling around them, right? Like, it's uh, there's a lot of variables. Uh, I guess the the biggest thing, first and foremost, would be how well they can be contained and stay healthy. I think that the health is the number one issue, and then from there, you 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 keep pulling away the layers, and uh, you only have so many years of your career. So you're sitting here, and you want everything to come to an end, and you want to stay healthy but you also want to continue on the career that uh, you've dreamed of for your whole life. So it's, uh, I, I can't imagine the mixed emotions that they're all dealing with. And even the, the industry as a whole, uh, you know, uh, of being able to take such a hit like every other industry nowadays, uh, you know, it, I know it doesn't compare to the mom and pop who's, who's losing everything, but uh, there's, there's so many people that are affected uh, the workers night in and night out at the arena and, and, and just everybody's life has been disrupted. And uh, I just hope that we can just get back to normal and, and with sports as an entertainment business, being able to take people's minds off of uh, the pressure and the stresses that they're going through right now. Can you imagine a return to play as Brian Gianta going into a game with no fans and playing, <laughs> playing, you know, the most important hockey potentially of your career. Like what do you I'm think? I'm going to kid, I'm going to kid here, but it's kind of like playing in Florida. 
I'm just joking. So I couldn't pass that up. But um, no, it will be extremely weird. Uh, the competitive juices will be there. Uh, but the added extra adrenaline is just, uh, it's, it would be a weird feeling for sure. And there's plenty of nights that you went out uh, in Atlanta or Florida. Uh, they get a bad rap, but sometimes empty building and it's, it's quiet and you hear everything. It, it's just a different feeling. And this will be completely uh, even worse than that. So it's, it should be interesting to see how it all plays out. Would you want piped in crowd noise? I don't know if that's going to happen. I think it'll only be on the television side where the viewers will hear it. But as a player, would you want to hear something in the building? Uh, I think. I mean, it's we, we practiced in Buffalo in the main rink a lot of times, and it is, it's a weird uh, feeling. Um, it's Everything is quiet, and it's uh, deadening because there's no other noises. Uh, it's a... You, I always got much better of a feel in practices when we were at a practice rink. It was smaller, and you could hear the noises, and the, the ceiling was lower. And so I, I think I would need some kind of noise just to, just to help it, right? Like just to absorb some of that deadness in the, in the building. I can say, I'm sorry, Amanda. I just say, as a, as a viewer, I wasn't sure. I was skeptical, right? And watching some of the soccer games where they pipe it in, it does change – the feeling no doubt but it's also odd that it's so even like you know <laughs> yeah, exactly right yeah. you know that half yeah. the stadium or more is cheering for the home team and yet it's just kind of if they do something it's ah and if the other team yeah. does something it's ah yeah. but it does <laughs> fill in the gap so reactionary right to like what's yeah. happening on the ice so i was thinking like are they going to record a bunch of fans saying like shoot when it's like the power play, <laughs> the right? power like, play. Frustrated, <laughs> frustrated fans <laughs> we'll have something like some, truman get some booze when montreal plays get some booze on the power play or you know, or, like different things. Yeah, or you know, so, like the movie Truman. We'll have a behind the scenes controlling, <laughs> yeah. you know, not the game and life, but just the noise. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. audio guy will be like, oh, we need a little boo. We need a like, <laughs> you know, bad cheer, good cheer. That, that would be yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Well, Brian Giant, it's been a pleasure spending time with you. Uh, you've come so long from those days when you let up 15 goals in net. <laughs> 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 to the point where he played more than a thousand games, represented the U.S. at two Olympics, won a Stanley Cup, member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, number retired by Boston College, and life is good with your three uh, children and your wife at home. And uh, you know, thanks so much for your time. It's been a joy just hearing from you again. No problem. I appreciate catching up, uh, and I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun. Amanda, good show. Lots of fun indeed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so we thank Brian Gianta for spending time with us on our Speak of the Devils podcast. For Amanda C. Stein, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you so much for your company. We'll talk to you next time. Be well. So long, everybody. <laughs>